welcome to this week's episode of Not D&D. I am so excited because we have a very sparkly, beautiful topic this week. We are doing Girl by Moonlight and we have Andrew here with us uh, to tell us all about their game they made. Andrew, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, so obviously we're going to talk about Girl by Moonlight, which is available uh, now on Backer Kit. So if whilst we're talking, you want to kind of check it out and see what pledge tier options are available, the link is in the show notes or uh, in the chat if you're watching us live. Um, so before we dig into the game, I wanted to talk about you, Andrew, because I have the opportunity to speak to you here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I always ask people about their kind of background um, with games. So what was your first you know, memory of doing a tabletop RPG or your first experience gaming in that way? Um, So my introduction to uh, role-playing in the more kind of formal way, right, of rolling dice and and all of that kind of stuff, uh, Mm -hmm. I have this memory of my brother and my older brother, he's four years older than me, and his friend playing, his his friend ran like a and d thing for Mm -hmm. him, but they had like, they had one six-sided die and, you know, they were just making up this story and rolling some dice yeah. Uh, in this very, you know, informal way that people do, but clearly uh, his friend had like, you know, seen one of the early kind of D&D editions or something. Yeah. He was familiar with it. And and this was something that I had never uh, had any kind of context for. So it was very cool. Um, mm-hmm. But also it was like one one evening and then it was over. It didn't ever happen again. Oh, um, nice. I guess my brother wasn't like super into it. Uh, and so... That was my first look into like a formal uh, tabletop role playing game because other than that, mm-hmm. uh, it would just be me and my one friend at school, uh, kind of doing something that would be kind of more more similar to like having OCs and writing fan fiction or or that oh, kind cool. of thing. Like we would just make stuff up, um, uh-huh. and so every recess and every lunch hour, we would just be hanging out and and talking about characters that we had made up, which you know is the other kind of the flip side of a lot of role-playing games is doing that kind of stuff. So between Mm -hmm. those two, I kind of had my, my early introduction. Um, But yeah, a lot of it was shaped by like video games and JRPGs and these kinds Mm -hmm. of things uh, because I didn't get a lot of chances to play proper tabletop role-playing games until much later when I was in my teens and stuff like that. Fantastic. Well, what, what, how did you go from being somebody who, you know, played kind of storytelling games it sounds like you and your friend were just storytelling and doing that sort of thing how did you um become somebody who's you know a creator and and makes games and and does this for your job because i know a lot of people listening are like that sounds really awesome how how do i do that (laughs) how did andrew do that well yeah so i got introduced to the kind of indie role-playing game scene by way of avery alder i just happened to uh, she was running these like drop-in role-playing game mm-hmm. uh, things at like cafes and stuff like that. And my mm-hmm. uh, partner at the time heard about this and was like, "Hey, you're into these kinds of things, right?" Because I had mentioned you know role-playing games or whatever mm-hmm. previously. And so we sh- we went to one of those and I played a couple of games like Penny for Your Thoughts uh, and oh, some other kind of games that of that one, era yeah. and ilk, mm-hmm. um, which was really fun and really mm-hmm. really cool. I got I was very excited about that. And then. Uh, that was kind of my line in. I met a bunch of mm-hmm. people that would turn out to be very, uh, very big deals in their own right um, mm-hmm. over the course of their design journeys and stuff like that. So, so that's kind of what got my foot in the door in terms of knowing what was out there and available. But then uh, years of playing those games uh, mm-hmm. ended up kind of being my game design education 
even though yeah. I didn't realize that was happening as I was doing it. And so becoming, you know, more uh, familiar with the different things that could be done and, and games of that generation, like Apocalypse World or whatever, did a better mm-hmm. job of exposing their inner workings and making clear how they were operating and why and what they were doing. Uh, and so by playing all those games for a number of years, I was kind of able to get a sense of what I might be able to do and what how I might be able to hack or change them. Uh, Mm -hmm. which ultimately culminated in me making this Fortune in the Dark game. Amazing. So I think let's segue straight into talk about like Girl Girl by Moonlight. Um, so obviously the I for this first grabbed my eye on um, on a, a back kit. I saw the graphic and I was like, wow, what is this? What is this? <laughs> uh, the artwork is so stunning and beautiful in this game. I've got some whilst we're talking that I'll be scrolling through. And if you're listening to the podcast, I'll put some links to the back kit so you can go and, and see because the artwork is just stunning. Um, looking through... Could you give us a summary of what Girl by Moonlight is? So, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's a tabletop role-playing game. Uh, it's Forged in the Dark, so it's a hack of Blades in the Dark, if you're familiar mm-hmm. with that. Uh, and it's a game about uh, tragic, magical girls uh, struggling against an oppressive society and trying to transform the world for the better. Um, and sometimes they do that, and sometimes they die trying or you know, are set back or are changed by that experience, but... Yeah, it's a game about hope and and mutual support and the ways in which, um, you know, queer people end up needing to kind of band together and lean on each other in order to make it in a hostile world. Fantastic. Um, I I think this is such a beautiful concept, and I was so excited when I when I was reading about this. What are your reference points you you have uh, for the game? Like I was looking at it, and I was like, well, Sailor Moon definitely jumps out at me, but it seems like there's a lot of different references in this game. Yeah, so one thing I ended up doing with the design is it's broken into four uh, what I call series playsets. And so mm-hmm. when you sit down to play the game, you pick one of those and you kind of make your own uh, setting and adversaries mm-hmm. and situation for the characters to exist within. Um, and each of those four playsets has a really uh, wildly divergent take on what uh, what the magical girl genre can contain. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's one called Beneath the Ronic Sky, which we're mm-hmm. seeing on screen here. Um, that's the, it really leans into this idea of tragedy. It's the very, uh, mm-hmm. grim and kind of brutal aspect of the game. It's deeply mm-hmm. inspired by, uh, Puella Maggi Madoka. Um, and this was one of the kind of core parts of the game as I was making it. This was one of my kind of main targets before I came up with this idea of having kind of four okay. games in one, I was mostly leaning in this direction. Um, and so <laughs> My working my working title for it was the bad one. It was the really okay. like <laughs> it was the one that was really meant to like hit people very viscerally. Uh, and so it does a lot of stuff with um, essentially there being this doom that is hanging over the characters throughout the play of the series, uh, and they have this very narrow window where they can kind of skirt around that and and maybe do something big and good. But more often than not, they're going to they're going to die trying in this one. Um, yeah. But there is also uh, At the Brink of the Abyss, which is a much more optimistic and hopeful uh, piece, which uh, that one is more kind of built out of like Sailor Moon or Steven Universe. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a setting that's magical girls in giant robots fighting space monsters mm-hmm. called Honesty of Stars, which is inspired by stuff like Die Buster. Uh, yeah, there's a beautiful image from there by uh, uh, Cy Sweetman, who did all the art for that uh, setting. And it's mm-hmm. brilliant, beautiful. He was great to work with. Uh, and then lastly, there's In a Maze of Dreams, which is inspired by 
the work of Satoshi Kon, um, as well as Serial Experiments Lane. It's this kind of uh, psychosexual, dream-traveling, mystery, conspiracy version of the game uh-huh. um, that uh, involves... Yeah, you you like go into dreams and you're trying to you're trying to unravel this conspiracy that is trying to use people's dreams to change the world for the worse, and you're fighting against that. Um, so it has this really broad range of possibility within mm-hmm. the game, um, where I just started pulling in a lot of different um, things at the fringes of the genre space, right? Things where you can be like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I could do the magical girl reading of you know, mm-hmm. uh, Paprika by Satoshi Kon or whatever, right? And think mm-hmm. of her as a magical girl. And then how do I, how do I mechanize that and incorporate that into the game? So it was really fun. Once I had, I had Brink of the Abyss and Rotting Sky first. Um, yeah. And having done that uh, and having that duality, I was like, okay, well, one, I have to reject binaries. That's an important rule. But also mm-hmm. that having done it twice, why not do it two times more? Because I had yeah. this framework that let me mm-hmm. build them out. I had a system for uh, allowing players to kind of procedurally generate worlds and, and adversaries and this kind of stuff. Um, and so it was it was more work to add them, but it wasn't so much more work that it wasn't worth doing, basically. Sure, that makes sense. Um, so we talked, uh, I mean, you've kind of given some examples and we've talked a bit around the magical girl theme, but in case somebody's watching and, and doesn't have a reference point and doesn't know what we're talking about, how would you summarize what the magical girl theme is and and what made you choose this as the subject matter for the game Mm, yeah so magical girl stories are typically uh about a usually they're groups like small groups like a set of friends Mm -hmm. or whatever um they're young women these are kind of coming of age stories uh and they put the characters uh in a position that would normally be reserved for like masculine kind of superhero stuff Mm -hmm. Um, but instead we follow women doing those kinds of things. And usually the lens is a little bit different rather than just Mm -hmm. trying to like fight or dominate their opponents. Usually there's this element of like mending or redemption that's present in it. Um, because often the monsters that they're fighting used to be people or still kind of are people in some fundamental way that there's a, there's a human connection that can be made. Uh, and so it is a genre that really is interested in, uh, Although maybe at its outset, they wouldn't have these kinds of words, but like it's kind of looking at like restorative justice or these kinds of things, right? Like different sure. ways to solve problems uh, than just, you know, beating them to a pulp and locking them in a cage. So <laughs> yeah, uh, the game takes this genre, which, um, you know, all genres are pretty flexible and, and mm-hmm. fuzzy at their edges and, and big. Um, but I use it to get at ideas around... Um, transformation and a, and a trans experience or a queer experience right like people mm-hmm. who you can you can pretty easily map like a coming out narrative to this idea of having your magical girl like superhero transformation where you become this mm-hmm. more true more confident version of yourself um there's also this really fun thing in a lot of magical girl, girl stories where the villains in order to foil the protagonists who are young and who are kind of coming into their femininity often the the villains are like grown women who are really self-assured and like hot and put together and have like the big hair and the nice makeup and stuff because they, they represent this. Yeah. This like inversion of, or this contrary answer to what the main characters are trying to do, right. Of coming into Mm -hmm. themselves and their own kind of adulthood, womanhood, whatever. 
Uh, and so the, the genre has a lot of really, really fun um, stories that are told within it and doing this queer reading of it uh, felt really important um, was something that, you know, like I couldn't, I couldn't read it any other way because that's my relationship to it. Uh, and so mm -hmm. I just, uh, I just went with that. It's not a, it's not a, like a generic genre emulation game. It, it mm -hmm. has a really particular stance that is taking and that uh, uh, a thing that it is using the genre to do. Um, but I, I think it's something that other people will enjoy doing. And so I want them to kind of come along with me and my take on the genre and, and have fun with it. Well, I think other people are definitely interested because if you look on back at the crowdfunding, there's already, you know, how many thousands of people are already on board <laughs> and the campaign's yeah. still going. So I think it resonates with a lot of a lot of people as well there. Um, talking about the game and the, the, the magical girls that, that people will be playing, can we talk a little bit about characters and, and character creation? Um, so, so what that looks like in the game kind of mechanically and also just from like a role play perspective? Mm -hmm. So there's this whole... Uh, procedure that you follow to make the the world and the adversaries and all these kinds of things midway through that is when you make the characters so the characters don't exist kind of in a vacuum you can't come to the session with like this is the character i'm going to play i've already filled out my sheet everything's done they're kind of mm -hmm. meant to be made uh at the same time as a group so that they make sense mm -hmm. together they want to reflect yeah. everything else that's going on in the story and um you have uh seven different playbooks to pick from and there are mm -hmm. seven different kind of takes on uh, different types of magical girl characters so like the enigma is kind of an homage to tuxedo mask uh this kind of aloof mysterious figure their identity is secret from the rest of the team so even though they're mm -hmm. friends in the regular world in the mundane in their mundane lives um they don't know that this one friend of theirs is also doing cool magical superhero stuff with them um mm -hmm. and this playbook is also a love letter to my friend Violet and the way that she plays role-playing games. Uh, and so, you know, it has stuff like one of your special powers is that you can deliver a monologue without being interrupted. Um, <laughs> it's a, it's for people who love to uh, get into melodrama and give big speeches and have big flashy reveals. Um, and that was a big uh, part of how I made all of these character types was really thinking about like, what would be fun to play? What would friends of mine or what would I like to play? Uh, and so my hopes, my hope is that they are really rewarding kind of bundles of aesthetics and, and mechanics for people to play around with and put their spin on. Um, and so, yeah, you take one of these seven playbooks, you mm -hmm. make a bunch of choices within it. Um, you get to, you know, you pick your, your name, you make promises to the other characters. And then having done all of that, we kind of return to the world and make some make some statements as a group about like what that team of magical girls how they kind of fit into the world and and how they uh, run contrary to what it's doing or what it wants them to be. Um, mm -hmm. It sounds like session zero and and setting up kind of the game for you players almost. An, an important part of the game in itself um and i feel like i maybe jumped ahead talking about characters could you talk about <laughs> how how do you create the world and the villains and, and all that stuff you were talking about beforehand so when you sit around and you decide to play what does that look like yeah so the first thing you do right is you pick your series and the series mm -hmm. has a few different play sheets that it'll give you um mm -hmm. and one of them is the series creation workspace which is basically mm -hmm. just a big list of prompts and mm -hmm. so you're going to go through those categories and kind of pick one thing for each. And you might mm -hmm. 
flesh that out and talk a bit about like what that means and, and the implications of that choice, right? When we say, mm-hmm. um, you know, for, for Brink of the Abyss, the first question you get asked is what lies in the abyss? And your options are things like the poisoned heart of a world or a grand cosmic order or a cruel and ancient deity. And you might pick one of those and say like, oh yeah, we pick, it's a cruel and ancient deity and it's Charybdis, mm-hmm. who is a, a black hole, you know, embodied as this like sentient being. And she wants to consume or take in everything. She wants to control everything and have it be within her gravity. But you might also just say like, oh yeah, it's it's a twisted reflection of our reality. And we don't know what that means yet, but we're going to keep moving on to the next thing. So there's this mm-hmm. process that you're going through, which is meant mm-hmm. to be collaborative, right? Everyone at the table decides. Yeah. It's not just the director, which is kind of the GM role in the game. They don't mm-hmm. just say, here's what the villain is everyone has a hand in making that. Um, and the idea with that is to one, make sure that the setting can actually be robust enough to support play because in mm-hmm. like in blades in the dark, the game that this is built out of the setting sure. carries a lot of the mechanical load of the game. There are things that mm-hmm. need to be there for everyone to have kind of a consensus understanding of what the characters can do and what kinds of yeah. things are there for them to interact with. Uh, and so similarly in Girl by Moonlight, I wanted to make sure that when people were making their own setting, it has all of the right components, right? It has mm-hmm. it has a good villain. It has a good kind of tense, mundane world that is hostile to the characters, all this kind of stuff. So, so that process that you go through is going to reliably generate something that checks all the right boxes of what the game needs, but mm-hmm. also that is still going to be your setting, right? That you mm-hmm. all as a group kind of made together and put your spin on. Um, and so the process starts with these kind of heavily prompted things, right? Where you're picking from lists, but Mm -hmm. as it goes on, it starts to ask you questions and the questions get a little bit more open-ended towards the end. So Mm -hmm. as you have more context and have established more detail, uh, I start asking you bigger questions that are more uh, expansive Mm -hmm. or nebulous and kind of depend on that context. So you end up, you end up at the end, you know, early on, it's asking you, like, what is held to be sacred in the mundane world? And it gives you a bunch of options like order, power, tradition, control, um, these kinds of things. And then later it asks you, how do you transgress against that which is sacred? How do you represent that which is profane? So it's there's some tying together of these themes and, and ways in which the characters are kind of made to be reflective of and integral to the world uh, so that you can tell a good story. Fantastic. So we get all these elements laid out together. Um, I'm... I've been role-playing for over a decade, but I'm literally started GMing like this year, so proper baby GM. <laughs> and uh, if I was approaching this as a director, there's something I, I saw uh, about the cycle of play, um, which seemed really approachable as somebody that's new to running a game because it gave me structure but freedom to explore what the table wanted. Could you talk through the the cycle of play and and you know how, how that works in the game? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I kind of use the language of television for it, right? You have a series, mm-hmm. right? Your series is kind of your conti- continuity of play, uh, and you've chosen a playset for that. But then within that series, there are seasons, um, and a season is kind of the next smallest unit. Um, and mm-hmm. you might run, you might just run one season, and that mm-hmm. would be the end of it. But if you run multiple seasons, I encourage people to kind of uh, switch up who the director is, or recon- recontextualize the characters a bit, or make new characters, that it's kind mm-hmm. of there's a moment to kind of take a pause or have a breath and have things change when you come back to the game. Um, but okay. then within that there are episodes and each episode has a downtime fa- or sorry, an obligation phase, a downtime phase, a mission phase and a fallout phase. And that's like the loop mm-hmm. of play. And so the idea is that there's always, it's always clear what you're doing 
mm-hmm. you're never going to be in a position, right? Like as a director, especially if you're kind of new to GMing, mm-hmm. um, you're never going to be in a position where you don't know what to do. Yeah. Um, the exact details of what the story holds next or whatever, you know, we're all playing to find out, but you know, the, the game is going to keep running and moving you forward and you're going to keep laying down track ahead of yourself. And there is going to be some pacing and tempo that the game is kind of taking care of for you mm-hmm. so that you can focus on reacting to the, to what the other players are doing and, you know, delivering a good villain speech or describing yeah. a cool scene or whatever. Right. Like I'm trying to, to have the game do some of that work. And also I'm a curmudgeonly opinionated role player. And I think that there is like a good way to play role-playing games. And I mandate that within my own game by making the rules work a certain way. So part of it is Mm -hmm. me saying like, we should just as role players in general, most people chew the scenery for too long. I'm going to encourage them to do shorter scenes or to cut earlier or to, have more momentum and move from this thing to the next thing, uh, stuff like that. So there are a couple of different motivations for it, but I do think that at the end of the day, this structure is immensely useful for everyone, right? It's, it's -hmm. clear what's happening. It's clear what's going to happen next. You can plan for that. You can make decisions where, you know, the relative kind of merits and value of everything, because there is some, some sense of what's going to, what's come before what's going to come next. Definitely. I've, I've very much felt that way. It felt like exactly as you said, there's a structure. So I kind of know what I'm doing as a GM and it gives me the freedom, the space to kind of play with the players and, and focus on like the story and those interactions instead of like, oh boy, what's happening next? What am I going to organize? I, there's a structure and I think that's nice for the director and also uh, for, you know, the people playing as well. Um, speaking about playing a little bit, I want to get a little bit into the rules because you've done some very mm. cool things in here. And I wanted to talk about um, kind of transcendent stress and eclipse. Uh, so maybe it's two different topics there, but um, maybe if we start, start talking about transcendence and, and what that is in the game. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's, I think it's sensible to group these things together. And there's even a part mm-hmm. of the book where I kind of explain, like, these are the things that mm-hmm. make the characters, the protagonists special, right? Is that they have... Mm-hmm that they have that dynamic, those, those things. So uh, stress is kind of your main resource for pushing your character beyond their limits, but it's also mm-hmm. something that when you, when you get too much of it, that's bad as well, right? When you've spent too mm-hmm. much of it, there's a, there's a very intense cost for the character. Um, and then your other big kind of source of power is transcendence. And transcendence is that magical girl transformation. It's where you go from being just a regular person to, mm-hmm to something more, someone who actually could change the world, someone who could uh, take on these kind of monstrous embodiments of everything that's kind of wrong with society. Um, Mm -hmm. But there's a limit to that. You only get to act four times for most of the characters. You only get to make four actions while transcended, and then that's it. You you turn back to normal. Um, And so there's this idea that the characters Mm -hmm. are a little bit fragile. You know, they're not like perfect superheroes. They really do have limits and Mm -hmm. they they might bump into those really hard in bad situations uh and that's something that uh as if you're playing one of the protagonists you will have control you do kind of ultimately get to decide whether or not you take that risk and go there but Mm -hmm. the the stakes are such that yeah like you could exceed your limits and and find yourself in a really bad spot and your character yeah. could meet a tragic end right like that's mm-hmm. that's part of how that it the game is going to deliver on that idea mm-hmm. um 
But there's also, importantly, um, this idea of eclipse, which is um, which is something that you risk going into when you uh, use up all of your stress that's available to you. Um, you hit this kind of tipping point, and you might hang on kind of at the precipice for a little bit. Uh, there might be a big dramatic and heroic reversal, but often what will happen is that you will fall into eclipse, and eclipse mm -hmm. is this kind of uh, inversion of the heroic nature of the character. Um, and so okay. each playbook has its own different eclipse uh, kind of prompt and escape clause. Uh, and so I'm just going to read one out for the Enigma, who is our kind of uh, mysterious and aloof figure. Of course. So when you eclipse as the Enigma, who you are, who you really are clearly isn't enough. Only in the mask is worthy of their love. You reject all aspects of your everyday self and embrace the most superficial aspects of your persona. Give them what you know they want, effortless beauty and extravagant drama. You can only escape Eclipse when someone shows you the truth of their heart and you reveal your identity to them. They add a promise about keeping your secret. And so with the Enigma, they mm -hmm. have this, you know, this cool alter ego that they have with mm -hmm. their mask and they're, they're so secretive and aloof. Um, and they start to enter a crisis where they no longer feel that they're the 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 person behind the mask right ceases to have value to them mm -hmm. and they and they lean too far into their persona uh in a way that's really you know dysfunctional and and ultimately harms them um and that they need someone to come in and and be open with them and they need to be you know they need to share their secret in turn um and so all of the eclipse prompts kind of put the characters in similar situations where they're mm -hmm. on some perilous kind of course where they're behaving badly. Um, and you can kind of lean into that as much or as little as you want as a player. Uh, and you're always reliant on someone else to kind of come and, and yank you out of that state um, mm -hmm. in various ways. And so they really, like so many parts of the game, it kind of points you at the other uh, protagonists and gets you mm -hmm. leaning on each other and working with each other um, in a lot of really fun ways. And this is something that I'm, pulling very directly from Monster Hearts, which is one of my absolute favorite games by Avery Alder, mm -hmm. um, where there's a, a darkest self in Monster Hearts. There's this like yeah. really, the characters are already monstrous. And then there's this mm -hmm. like, you're an even more horrible monster, right? You're doing your absolute most perilous and, and dire kind of uh, aspect. Um, and I just always loved playing that so much. It's so fun to have, um, both an excuse to to go on your villain arc or whatever, but mm -hmm. also um, a kind of bounding box on it, right? There's a time mm -hmm. when it's mechanically, you know, signaled for you to do it and it's appropriate to lean into that and everyone's going to know that it's happening and play along with it. And then there's a way that it can get resolved. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's not just that I'm going to be a huge jerk at my table and be really disruptive and play yeah. in bad faith or whatever, right? It's this version that is uh, play kind of expands to accommodate or include this this mode of play that I really enjoy of being, uh, you know, the toxic, crummy version of my character, which is the thing I've always really loved. Um, and I like to play those kinds of characters. So it's, it's nice to have something that kind mm -hmm. of gives you some guidance or some structure around doing that uh, and some yeah. permission to lean into it at certain points. Mm -hmm. I love that you've brought up the kind of depth and the kind of darkness that the characters have. Um, that's what I really liked about the Eclipse elements you said, because there's this 
darkness or this real sadness like what you said about the enigma this person no longer seeing the value in who they are is like oh and i think when you first look at girl <laughs> by moonlight you could be mistaken and thinking oh sparkly light-hearted fun yeah let's go punch some things how cute and then you read it and you're like oh there's there's a lot here and i love the the contrast that that, that it has in that way that in one hand you could play it very you know, superficial and fun, but actually there's real meaning and depth behind it. And there's, you know, these characters are going through stuff. And particularly when you, the one I chose as my favorite that you mentioned was the the rotting sky. That's when I looked through and saw that. And I was like, oh, this game's doing this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so I think, I think that's really great that it has, you know, that level of, of depth and darkness with it. Obviously with any games that you, you're taking to that place, there's kind of safety considerations for anybody. Um, what sort of tools do you recommend or what tools do you like using uh, in role-playing games to make sure that, we're having a fun time, but it's within everyone's boundary and everyone's having a safe fun time. Yeah, there is a section in the book about safety, and I'm kind of deliberately open-ended when I talk mm -hmm. about it because um, it's it's something that's very dependent on you know who's at the table and what the context is, right? Like my my go-to tools for safety if I'm at a convention playing with strangers mm -hmm. are going to be very different than the tools or the methods or the the amount of exposure, honestly, that I might permit myself if I'm playing with people that I really know and trust. Uh, and so uh, in the book, I have a section where, yeah, where I'm talking about this and I try to emphasize that this is really about um, having that read and, um, and really taking in, taking an interest in and being considerate of the needs of the other people at the table. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, for me personally, if I'm playing with people I trust, I really favor, um, the kind of like rewind, like the VCR setting, the VCR tools kind of mode yes. where you can say yeah. like, oh, we like we got into some difficult territory. I need to, I need to rewind and we need to try that again, going a different angle or, oh, we got into some difficult territory. It's not that I don't want this to happen in the story, but I don't want to go through it moment by moment. Can we fast forward? Or even I can go through that, but I might need to pause midway through, take a break or like talk about it player to player. Um, mm -hmm. to have those kinds of lines of communication open. Um, and so I find that tool is nice and kind of flexible and pretty easy to to understand and draw on. Stuff like mm -hmm. the X card is really useful, especially in like if I'm playing mm -hmm. with strangers or something like that, because it's a no questions asked, very straightforward and and pretty kind of absolute tool, mm -hmm. um, which which has a lot of merits for for those kinds of contexts. Mm -hmm. Um but also, yeah, like a thing that I really like doing is getting into melodrama or like mm -hmm. big character feelings and that kind of stuff. And so yeah. if I'm going to do that, I need I need that VCR kind of mode where I can get into the periphery of uncomfortable territory and then manage that, you know, in real time with the other players. And, you know, I also try to like foreshadow these things and not, not have it ambush people. There are lots of ways that you sure. can make your table safer um, mm -hmm. that are kind of subtle and that I think people do just as good play practice anyways. Like it's good for the story if you foreshadow things and that also lets players know what kind of stuff is on the horizon and maybe mm -hmm. steer the story in a different direction or whatever else it might be. So safety is incredibly important, but I can't, mm -hmm. I can't deliver a, a perfect answer about it. Oh and, no. Yeah. And, and yeah, like it's always up to any given arrangement mm -hmm. of players to kind of have those conversations and figure that stuff out. And that, you know, the 
the possibilities that exist, the tools that are available, all that is always going to change. You know, I'm going to put this book out in mm -hmm. 2023 and then in 2028, maybe there will be a completely different understanding of what RPG safety tools should be. Uh, and so I'm happy to keep the book in a flexible space where it will adjust as needed, right? It, it will yeah. reference these things that are important and then let you pick the tools that are going to work for you. Definitely. And I think like you say, there's no one thing that's going to work. Cause that's like saying, what's, what are the rules for a good social interaction? It's like, well, that's, that's <laughs> so, um, need more detail and context. Uh, so I think that's completely fair enough to say, Hey, here are some tools you can use, but it really depends on what you're doing and, and who you're playing with in the setting for that. So, um, yeah, so I think that's some really good advice. Um, in terms of kind of Girl by Moonlight, we've mentioned it is on Backer Kit now, so people can mm -hmm. get involved and, and pledge for that. Um, so what kind of things can they pledge for in that? So we, we what, yeah, so if we pick up the book, what does that contain? Yeah, so the kind of most basic core thing, right, is the book. Uh, it's 220 pages of my writing. <laughs> it's all the rules of the game. Wonderful, yeah. Um, and alongside that, you can you can play it on Roll Twenty. We have a, a module within that mm -hmm. that uh, allows for playing the game um, that you just get access to for free. Uh, mm -hmm. There's also you know all of the play sheets and also a set of uh, single session um, kind of ready made scenarios for people to play with. Those are all available mm -hmm. to anyone that just picks up the game. And okay. whatever level you pledge on Backer Kit, you get. Uh, you get a rulebook PDF straight away. Mm -hmm. uh, the moment you pledge, you can play the game. Uh, oh, so that's amazing. all available for people straight away. Yeah, the the version you get early is just uh, doesn't have all the art assets, some other stuff like that. It's not the absolute sure. final version PDF, but it's everything you would need to play the game um, is ready for you up front. There is a special edition uh, book okay. that has like a different cover, some end papers, some nice ribbon bookmarks. If you want to go fancy and get like the special thing. Um, yeah, yeah. That's an exclusive to the backer kit. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, broadly speaking, yeah, if you want to just get the game, it's pretty mm -hmm. affordable. There's like a $15 tier that just gets you yeah. the PDF. And so it'll get you this initial early PDF and then the proper one with full art and everything at the end of the campaign um, and get you playing the game. Perfect. Um, do you have any kind of closing thoughts or, or any kind of final comments you'd like to share about the game or for somebody that's maybe having a look and, and thinking about picking it up? Um, yeah. So I would encourage people to uh, be open-minded and curious when engaging with the game, mm -hmm. um, both in the sense that you might be a huge Magical Girl fan and come to it with mm -hmm. a lot of preconceptions uh, about the genre or whatever else, but be open mm -hmm. to thinking expansively and building out rather than just being like, I'm going to make exactly Sailor Moon episode by episode using this game. <laughs> that is not the spirit of it. And so I would encourage people mm -hmm. to try to, you know, make their own thing and be uh, expansive in their thinking. But also mm -hmm. if you're not a fan of magical girl stuff, uh, I would still encourage you to check out the game. It's going to do a lot of things uh, that might surprise you. It's going to mm -hmm. engage with, the topics and let you as a player of the game engage with the topics in interesting ways and you know it's it's a good well-structured nicely designed role-playing game that you will have fun playing the mechanics sing really nicely there are all of these cool emergent moments that will happen in the course of play uh and so yeah i just want to really uh spread my arms very widely in welcoming people into it don't feel like it's not for you just because you know it's a magical girl thing or mm -hmm. whatever, right? Like try it out, check it out. 
you're going to find something in it. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing uh, Girl by Moonlight uh, with us. One thing I do ask on Not D&D, because the show is all about getting people to have a look around at different indie tabletop RPGs, um, is I ask if you have any recommendations for any uh, other games. Uh, and the rules to this is it can't be Dungeons and Dragons. I feel that mm. wouldn't be your recommendation anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it can't be a game that you've made because we've just, we just spent a little bit of time talking about your game. So do you have any yeah. other games you'd like to shout out? Um, I would encourage people to check out anything by Avery Alder. She's an incredible mm-hmm. designer. Um, yes. And, you know, it, she's hardly overlooked in the space. She has a very good reputation for a reason. Mm-hmm. But uh, look into her games. She has a bunch of great ones. Monster Hearts is brilliant. Uh, and uh, Dream Askew, which I got to play recently with some friends of mine. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. And all of the games in its kind of lineage, which is kind of, which is called the Belonging Outside Belonging. Uh, mm-hmm. I also played a game called Orbital, uh, which is by a different designer, but is kind mm-hmm. of built out of Dream Askew. And mm-hmm. I've had a great time with all of those. So that would be my big recommendation. Fantastic. That's great. Well, there's plenty of games uh, of us to check out. So that's a really great recommendation. Andrew, thanks you so much for your time for coming on. And congratulations on the success of Girl by Moonlight, um, even though it's, it's already going and it's still continuing. And uh, I'm really excited to play my first game. So thanks so much for coming yeah, on. Thank you.